Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 10 years of law enforcement analysis experience. He is currently the training coordinator of the Crime Analysis Center program in the state of New York. He spent time as an analyst in Philadelphia PD, where he was the project coordinator of Gunstat. He's here to talk about analysis and training. He comes from the most awesome state of Pennsylvania. Please welcome Anthony DeBruzzo. Anthony, how are we doing? Great. Great to be here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) I love it. A couple of things before we get started here. So we realize that we are not only both from Pennsylvania, but we... We're in Erie, Pennsylvania at the same time in 1999 as you were a freshman at Mercerhurst College and I was running around doing various things right out of undergrad before I went to graduate school. So it is possible that you and I could have been in traffic in the cars right beside each other and never knew that someday we'd be talking. We we could have both been at the Mill Creek Mall at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That is very, very true. All right. And then I, of course, always try to get the guest name right, but you had mentioned that with your last name, there is some debate in the family how you pronounce your last name. So, yeah, I, I, I always say to Bruzo, I believe I had asked this question of family a while ago. The other day, I, I called my cousin and her voicemail says, you know, leave a message for Martha Diabruzzo. And it just struck me as, wait, am I saying this wrong? Was Did I miss a family memo? So I just proceeded to ask her that question via voicemail for a while. And then when she eventually called me back, she said she was wrong, but still hasn't changed her voicemail. <laughs> if it, this doesn't get resolved, it will be quite an interesting family reunion this summer. I, you know, I, I think we're all on the same page. I could be wrong. Um, I do have a very a famous cousin, Stephanie DeBruzzo, who was on Broadway in the, and she was nominated for a Tony for Avenue Q. Wow. Uh, She's on Sesame Street, does some voiceover work, and yeah, so that's my benchmark, right? Who who is fam- who is famous? Yeah, so it's whatever she says go. I mean, if she yeah. was on Sesame Street, like she's gonna have hold a lot of weight. Yeah. yeah, she she carries the most weight. Actually, technically, Alan Alda does when he talks about what his real name is, which is what it it's Alphonse de Bruzzo. Oh. So is he your relation too? That's a debatable question. I I literally just had this conversation over the weekend, and there there is a family story that his great my great grandfather is also his great grandfather, but through he that person had gone to Colorado, was married, had children, the wife died, his. He went back to Italy and then started a second family. Mm-hmm. It, I I like how this is all being recorded, where it's yeah. completely unverified family <laughs> history. But my I, I was happened to be home this weekend and with my family, and we started this discussion. And he 
the the story is that that you know we share the same great grandfather i believe wow i again now we're gonna now this is turning into what's the show finding my roots yeah no i was just thinking yeah like a 23 and me or something's got to get involved in there to see where exactly the bloodline flows yeah for me it just really goes back to my dad being italian and the family coming over in the 50s Wow, yeah. Well, hey, you have two more famous people that you're related to or possibly related to than me. So kudos to you. It's just a function of family, right? Yeah. All right. So let's get into this then. We got a lot to talk about because I do want to get your take on training programs for law enforcement analysis. But first, as we always do, let's start with how you discovered the law enforcement analysis profession. I'm gonna have to say that I believe that this profession found me more than I found it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna go back and tell this very long-winded sort of life story here. Never knew what I wanted to be coming out of college, had really not a sense of profession, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. I happened to know somebody who suggested that I become a security guard for the University of Pittsburgh Police Department. And that he was the chief then. I had met him while I was working security at some sporting events. And he said he had this job open. It was a great opportunity to, you know, if I wanted to go back to grad school, do something else. I was like, you know what, that is a really good sort of opportunity, right? And I can spend some time figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So I basically worked in a police department. The security guards there are uniformed officers. So I would go to just without carrying a gun, right? Mm-hmm. So I would go to roll calls. I was, you know, basically part of the police department. I just would sit in a building somewhere on campus and you know after a couple of months getting back into school all, I was basically there doing my homework so go through grad school ended up going to the graduate school of international and public affairs got really interested in policy analysis and then again not really thinking about this career within law enforcement, I was kind of sort of half in it at the time. Did a senior project, which I actually looked at crime stats in Pittsburgh as part of this, you know, a capstone class. It's like, oh, that was kind of interesting. Got to do some mapping, you know, a little bit of statistics, that sort of thing. When I left grad school, I ended up in the Department of Justice as an auditor. It was not anything that relevant to this other than it actually gave me the opportunity to see some crime analysis when I was working on audit. I remember I was doing this audit and I was in Providence, Rhode Island, and I was watching a Comstat and watching people you know, put maps up and talking about what was going on. And I was just sitting there thinking, wow, that's actually really what I want to do with my life. <laughs> rather than sit here and observe and kind of tell people if they may or may not have spent grant money correctly. Really kind of wasn't pursuing it per se. Later on, a friend of mine had sent me the job description and said, hey, you should apply to this when the job with the Philadelphia Police Department came up. Went on the interview, you know, had this great interview with the then Deputy Commissioner Nola Joyce, 
and I thought, wow, this actually seems really interesting. And she asked me the question like, oh, you know, how would you work with law enforcement? And I just went back to like, oh, yeah, I was worked in a police department. I went to roll calls. I listened to the radio. I had experience working with cops. And it, it was like, oh, well, that's interesting that that was actually relevant in a, in a job interview. <laughs> so about six months later, they called me and offered me that job, which is its own kind of, you know, uniquely funny story of bureaucracy. And I I jumped on it and started working in Philadelphia. Now, was were they looking for you to support Comstat there at Philadelphia? So the job that I, I was hired for was directly from a smart policing grant that was made... Mainly, it was to support basically all crime analysis. I'm not sure they even entirely knew what the job was going to be. So the history of that was they had concluded the Philadelphia Foot Patrol experiment, right, with Temple and Jerry Radcliffe. Mm -hmm. The next phase of that for them was this grant that was, we're going to test uh different policing models. So it was problem solving, foot patrols, and offender focus. And this was, they had designed this experiment and in the grant, they wrote in to hire two crime analysts to essentially support the grant itself. And when I came in, they said, well, we're already halfway through this. We don't really need you for this particular thing. I also found out they had written in for two analysts, and I was the only one who was available six months later. It's always it's always fun to be like, oh, yeah, I was available. So that's how I got in this career. So what happened that it was six months later in terms of bureaucracy showing its head? You know, you. I walked out of that job interview and thought to myself, wow, it was a really good job. I felt good about what happened. And I remember thinking to myself on the walk home, I, I made that mistake of not getting the person's contact information. Like I didn't get a card. Mm -hmm. So I didn't follow up, right? And I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that's what I did wrong. I had no idea I was still being considered. There was a argument over the job title itself within, not with the, the police department, but between another group within the union and like the civil service side of Philadelphia government. They didn't want the police department to use that job title. What was the job title? It was research and information analyst. And they were trying to use a job title that already existed in civil service. Oh, it, it just became this argument and it eventually was settled. But the central HR could not tell me that that was the case, right? There was no information that was coming from them to tell me like, oh, you're still you're still being considered. I got a call one day. I happened to just like be out with friends. And it was it was one of those like four o'clock calls where I <laughs> I didn't answer it. And then this person left a voicemail saying, oh, if you're still interested in this job, it's available. You know, call me back. It just seems so silly to fight over what you're going to call something. But I guess that's part of data governance, I guess, to what you call things and making sure everything has the same data definition it matters. But it's just well, exemplified it, there. Especially this where I'm at now, I really understand a lot of 
you know, job titles, things that exist in bureaucracies for reasons. That one was interesting. It, oh, it it was the situation, and you know what? It, in the end, it all worked out. I was available to take it, and it led me on that career. So. Oh. So once you get there, you'd mentioned that the study was halfway over. What did they have you do when you walked in the door for the first time? I meet with the deputy commissioner again. He just said, all right, we're going to assign you to this group who's working with the there now. You'll be with them. They had analysts, right? But they were specifically for GIS, and they worked on sort of like the mapping applications that pushed everything out to everyone in the department. There wasn't anyone who was, you know, analyzing, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So they they had kind of gone with this decentralized model of analysis. Again, kind of like learning as I go, because I didn't understand any of this walking into the door. They really needed somebody to kind of like focus on some strategic analysis around that, right? So I show up and they, you know, set me up with some ArcGIS. They tell me how to get data and say, okay, you're going to support this we're right in the middle of the problem solving part of this. So you can help support that. So I made up a couple maps, you know, really trying to figure out exactly what I was supposed to do. And then the project ended and then people were unsure of what to do with me at that time. I lucked out and a police lieutenant in research and planning befriended me and got to talking and he's like, you should be within research and planning you would be able to support these requests that come in. You'd be, you should be in with the people who are doing the statistics. So I, I had a couple of moves within the department within the first six months until they figured out where I should be and what I should be doing. And then once I got into that, it was really a lot of sort of requests that required, you know, a little bit of GIS work. It was a lot of questions like we we want to know what's going on in this city council district or you know this area of the city something that was not clearly defined so that became my niche for about a year mm -hmm. so getting back to the study then and mm -hmm. i know you didn't work that much on it but what were what were, were the results of the study i believe it was that under focused had had like a Ugh. try to remember the statistical number, but I think it had more of an impact than either of the other two. So it was, you know, randomized control of 60 areas in the city, right? Each, mm -hmm. so 20 on each. And I, I believe that they found that offender focus policing was the most sort of effective out of those three. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that there would be, in terms of a study, there would be a very specific set of questions that needed to be answered in a specific way to answer those questions. And it sounds like they just oh. said, okay, here's your data. Just analyze this and tell me what you find. <laughs> no, I was not part of any of that, right? So oh, okay. the actual study that was all being done through Temple University and okay. Jerry Radcliffe, Liz Groff, Corey Haberman, Evan Sorg that mm. that group oh i see when you asked me the results of the the study i was thinking about it in terms of the policing but one mm. of the main findings of that was we need more crime analysis right mm. and so then the second grant that was written off of that was for us to train police officers in crime analysis so oh, then okay. my role shifted 
from hey you're the only let's i say only crime analyst in the in the city at the time to you're going to help train 20 crime actually what do we start with i think we started with 10 we started with 10 it, i mean we got to everyone every police district in the city by the time i was done but we we started with an initial class are these civilians that were just newly hired or who are oh, these no, no. folks we that were, so we started out with a pilot program of, of recruiting police officers from who are already working in their respective districts we we basically had them apply to be the crime anal cr we called them crime analyst coordinator i believe for their police districts and we we reached out to the captains and we had them apply by sending resumes and then determined, you know, who we were picking to go through this initial class. So then we did two weeks with those analysts, kind of got them going, saw how they were progressing, and then moved forward with another class. Hmm. Yeah. So the cynic in me is curious. <laughs> like, so these the folks that are applying for these jobs. I mean, part of me is like. Is it just somebody that wants to have a nine to fiver and that they're looking for like a cushy office job versus what? someone that's actually interested in analysis? It was mostly the captain's decision and they were picking people that they felt were going to fit that role the best. Mm -hmm. It really, it was really driven by, I'd say their skill sets and whether or not okay they felt that they were going to be able to do that. I I'm, I know the schedule played into it for a, a few people, but we had some really good people with within that, especially the first couple of classes that we've had that were, I'd say, like, I learned from them, right? They mm -hmm. were able to pick things up. We focused on teaching them a lot of mapping skills, a lot of problem-solving skills, and you know, some people really took it and ran. Yeah. Hmm. I know that's no. good. That is good to hear. And yeah. I think there is a lot that an officer can bring to the table when you're analyzing data and analyzing problems. And oh. it does sound like you didn't because, you know, I've heard the stories that sometimes when that situation comes up, it's like, oh, so and so's on light duty. Let's send him over him or her over to do analysis work or you know it's just more a matter of convenience than it is really skill set or desire to do the job yeah we we definitely hit some home runs early on with people who had the skill sets i think we had a couple we did sort of build into the program of saying you know we kind of reserved a right to you know not get rid of people but say like this isn't working out it was sort mm -hmm. of an opportunity for people and we we did have to make a couple of changes not a lot just why that person was picked they really didn't have the skill set and it mm -hmm. wasn't wasn't the working well but for the most part and we had some people who really developed an interest in it and wanted to learn and started putting together products that were really good yeah so it's 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 kind of interesting because you mentioned the results of the first study mm -hmm. based on from the police department's perspective was offender based focus. And then it sounds as though that with these new analysts being hired, 
that they're looking at mapping and problem solving. So is it still a vendor-focused approach at this point? We didn't have the full results of the study when we so when we set out on the second smart policing grant. Mm-hmm. We had sort of settled on problem-focused analysis as kind of like the best way that we thought a, a crime analyst could support their, their respective districts. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was kind of geared towards the approach that, you know, then Commissioner Ramsey kind of set forth when he started there and kind of revamped sort of all of like the the areas that they will. They started doing more problem solving through these policing servicing areas and each lieutenant was responsible for developing plans. Mm-hmm. So this was in a way supporting that as well. Yeah. For this class, for this group of 10, are you the one developing the curriculum? No, like that helping? was all that was all Jerry Radcliffe at, over at Temple, mm-hmm. and you know, I was more so technical assistance when they needed it after the training, mm-hmm. but also responsible for sort of the logistics of it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was just saying, okay, here we're going to schedule this out, kind of working mm-hmm. with the police captains at the time and saying we're going to need your people for these weeks, making sure that everything lined up. And I'm just, you know, I just realized, so you started in 2010 Mm -hmm. with the, so, and you said you were the first analyst at Philadelphia Police Department? Again, very, I can't say I was like technically the first crime analyst, I believe. There was some people who definitely preceded me and they were all really more on the programming GIS side, right? And when I got there, there's a GIS group. And they were the ones actually supporting CompStat. So they're the ones who are showing up and putting the, you know, the map up and showing the information. And they were very focused on the GIS side of things, right? Mm -hmm. And there wasn't anyone sort of, I would say doing analysis, if you will, because I, they are incredibly talented people and I can't. Mm -hmm stress enough kind of like what i learned from them and they continue to support philadelphia police department very well but there wasn't anyone sort of say like taking a strategic view of what what was going on in the city they always were just doing sort of mapping requests yeah and Hmm. in developing sort of what was was put out there i came in at an interesting time where they had brought over somebody to really focus on developing a new mapping application for the police department because at the time it was pretty outdated there was work that was done you know in the early 2000s that that was good but they needed to revamp it so i came in at the same time as that person so while i was learning sort of how to be a crime analyst i was also watching how this whole server environment and mapping application was being built to support the entire department. Is this Esri map info? Is it something different? What is it? Yeah, the police department was taking advantage of the city's enterprise license. Mm -hmm. And so all Esri based application, but it took a while to build the server environment, right? We needed to Mm bring together the data that existed you know, in the records management system there to to 
put into the application. I mean, I would sit in meetings and watch it and say, I have no idea what you guys are even talking about because <laughs> it was all just building the server environment. Gotcha. Hmm. And it's it's interesting. It reminds me of what I observed when I was at Baltimore Police Department 2003 to 2005. You did have a, a group of officers who <laughs> did ComStat report support. Yeah. Back then, it was a lot of geocoding. It was a lot of getting the data to work, cleaning the data, getting the data right, putting it on the maps. But it was a machine in a way. You had ComStat on Thursday, and then Monday through Wednesday was data processing. Right. And then obviously you had Thursday ComStat, and then Friday was a little bit of you know R and R, sharpening the sword, if you will, to what can we do to improve this process. But you could certainly look at that and make the argument that there's not much analysis going on there. Like right. they'll know, they'll know, they'll be able to look at the data and understand what they're seeing. But it's not as if they're they're really looking for the data. It's you know they might be trying to identify data problems, but mm -hmm. not necessarily the analysis portion. So that is way different from the ComStat support that I just described. Is way different from what you may typically see analysts do right. um, from from the police departments. Right. In in my time there, I got to see sort of how the ComStat evolved with a new mapping application. And it there was I'd say the analysis was mainly done by Deputy Commissioner. I really have to shout out Deputy Commissioner Kevin Bethel, who I've just watching his passion for, you know, like the data and digging into it. And once we got a mapping application that went to everyone in the department, I just he would he would prompt you working the map in the Comstat and say, you know, when is he 30 days in this district? Pull it up like that and focus in on here. And you know, he would be showing police captains their problems because he he was the one who was looking at the data himself. So it was an interesting sort of time to be there where this sort of information that got pushed out, some people really, you know, embraced the data-driven approach. And that's one that I, I'll never forget just somebody or watching him sort of tell me, tell us, you know, what, how to bring up the data because he was there and doing it, right? He mm -hmm. was he was constantly preparing himself for those comm stats and you know, looking at data and pushing his captains to know the information. And he'd always say, you know, this is, this is available to everybody. I'm not the only one who can do this. So you have to know your data. All right. Good. All right. Well, I do want to move on to your analyst badge story. And <laughs> for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career defining case or project that an analyst works. And for you, it's around 2013, and you are working on the GunStat program there at the Philadelphia Police Department. Yeah, um, you know, just to kind of give a little background, around 2012, 2013, the police department and the district attorney's office came together and decided that they were going to, you know, utilize the GunStat model, which had been in places like DC 
believe, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, have regular monthly meetings to talk about, you know, what, what was going on. The initial sort of onset of Gunstat was the deputy commissioner had come to us and said, okay, let's, let's pick like, we'll say five of the top areas of, you know, gun violence in the city. Didn't give a lot of parameters, just said gun violence, you know, and, you know, as an analyst, you know, all right, so what are we going to do here? Are we just going to look at just shootings? Are we going to bring in, you know, the recovered guns, you know, rated assault, things like that, where you're, you kind of question exactly what data parameters you're going to do in, in the analysis. So I pulled together that data, came up with the areas. We decided to focus on two specific areas and of the city. So then it turned into, okay, these are the areas we're focusing on. So we got to constantly pull the stats and, you know, the police captains in those areas are going to put together sort of their information every month in cooperation with the district attorney's office of, you know, the top offenders of the area, right? Mm -hmm. So we had been doing this I, I I kind of did the initial work. Another analyst took over sort of the stats in pulling together work for the first couple months of it, and then he left, and then I got back onto it by taking over all of those duties. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every month before the meeting, I'd send out templates and say, hey, I need this information. I'd pull the stats, all of that, right? So it had been going pretty well. There was you know, a lot of success out of that program, at least that's what was being touted as sort of one of the reasons why gun violence was down at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, I did the same sort of routine for one week, you know, spent a few days pulling together PowerPoints, changing templates, you know, doing the, doing the stats work, show up in my, my Part of it was always the first, you know, five minutes of the meeting, and then I turn it mm-hmm. over to the captains and ADAs who are talking about the specific cases. So I get up there, I say, here's what's going on in these areas. You know, we only had these many shootings, still showing, you know, down for the year, down for the five years, that sort of thing. And one of our deputy commissioners just said, hold on, and started asking questions. And honestly, I was never really truly prepared to answer questions because no one ever asked me questions, right? <laughs> I was just presenting information. And then suddenly it turned from like casually asking questions to like grilling me, right? Mm-hmm. Just the way, you know, I'd say some of us have seen in a Comstat meeting before where you know, get completely put on the spot and just absolutely dragged, right? Like, mm-hmm. where did you, you know, how did you do this? It's just asking me all these questions that I never really answered, you know, asking me specifics on the cases, even that, you know, for the most part, I was just like, okay, going through shooting victims, you know, that sort of stuff. And I was just kind of always putting together the data that, you know, I thought was what I was told to do. And it really came back, you know, all these questions, I'm getting grilled and I I have no, I, I have like very little answers. Finally, someone's just like, okay, we're, you know, just, we're going to move on. So, you know, I'm sitting there through the rest of the meeting. I'm, wow, what the, what the heck just happened to me? Like, if I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And then this meeting was always at the district attorney's office. So I had walked back to police headquarters, going into the building, and the first deputy commissioner was standing outside. And he, he said, hey, you know, come here. I want to talk to you. I was like, okay. 
like you know it was a setup right so what what do you mean well we're a little bit you know at odds at what the deputy what the district attorney has been saying and how you know successful that program has been and we wanted to push back so that was all staged we knew exactly what we were doing going into that and wanted to make it a point to say you know maybe the reason why we're having success this year isn't completely around gunstat and i said okay great can you just give me a heads up next time like i just <laughs> want to be prepared for it <laughs> like yeah. i understand but oh that was it was not what i was expecting i mean the conversation made me feel better but it really kind of made me feel like one of one of the team after that and he he actually thanked me he said you know you're you're a company man and I, we appreciate that you know you you toe the line but you know that that need to be done and it need to be a shell i was like oh all right well i guess i did my part yeah yeah what way to throw you under the bus and yeah, make you an escape yeah. Get, right it's, that's mm. why i you know, think about in thinking about a bad story. I was like, you know, maybe maybe I talk about the one where I was grilled like a, ca- a new captain in a comstat who didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, no, and it yeah. it's understandable if you're regularly presenting on this data mm-hmm. that someone starts questioning you. You're not expecting it. You, I'm guessing that you probably got a little defensive. And I think oh, yeah. that's na- oh, yeah. that's natural because I'm like, where is this coming from? I'm not yeah. wasn't expecting this, and you're trying to explain it. And at first, you're probably thinking, oh, maybe they don't understand. You don't you don't anticipate that there's this agenda behind this. So you're just trying to explain things, and then it turns yeah. into like a defensive measure. Like I I can almost visualize the whole scenario in my head because I've seen it yeah. time and time again. Oh yeah, and you, you, I think there's a lot of us who have seen it in the comstat and like, oh, sure, I don't want to be that guy. It's very mm-hmm. rare that we get to be those people. Yeah, and I think too for somebody that's never worked for a police department, you have to understand that there are factions within yeah. the, the police department that are jockeying for position and ideas and where to spend money and oh. especially around the deputy chiefs like if you have a group of deputy chiefs i guarantee you there's at least two of them that don't like each other if you're reporting to a deputy chief and mm-hmm. you start working with somebody that's reporting to a, another deputy chief that you really got to be careful if they don't like each other like all what yeah. goes in there it's just a lot of politics and all like it's just a can of worms yeah well what was unique about this situation is that they were all on the same page they were mm-hmm. they were upset at the district attorney at the time mm-hmm. yeah. the, the, they were they were all unified yeah you know they they decided to you know take it out on me which was funny <laughs> but that basically it, it, it did kind of like turn into some questioning directly at him and it was you know one of those things where oh he gives some interviews talked about how successful the program has been and you know maybe made himself look good at the time mm-hmm. and that they were they were kind of they were defensive about that you know they're the ones you know that's the thing about policing when when stats are good you know the credit the credit can go around and then when it's bad it comes back to the police department yeah Um, so so what came out of that grilling there's a little bit of a revamp a little bit towards the and then essentially they just stopped doing it Mm -hmm. the program kind of 
fell apart fairly quickly after that. I mean, there's some mm -hmm. aspects of it that were continued. It, there's a, So for those of you who feel the need to look more into this story, mm -hmm. Evans, you did a process evaluation of this GunStat program as his doctoral thesis. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a pretty, I think, interesting story. I mean, maybe because I was there. And, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of there is a lot of sort of anecdotal evidence of things that were improved, especially with between the police department and the district attorney's office. They kind of really got on the same page there for a while. I doubt it's anywhere near what it was then right now, given some of the politics in Philly. And I don't want to speak too much on that. Just, you know, what I see mm -hmm. on the news and if you were a fan of the PBS show about the district attorney's office in Philadelphia, it's pretty fascinating. But I, I there is sort of a, a, you know, a document out there that explains what happened in that time frame. Mm. Oh, Evan showed that it wasn't exactly successful. Mm -hmm. You know, crime came down all around the city, not just in those particular areas. You know, and then this gets back into like, you know, why was crime down in the early part of the 2010s, right? Mm -hmm. You know, answers we do, still don't have questions for. Yeah, yeah. No, we said, well, they don't know how crime went down in the 80s. They're still yeah. studying that. And yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's still lots of debate on what truly impacts why crime goes down significantly. Hi, this is Eric Pisa, John Jay College. It's been the last rough couple of years, so let's just all be be kind to each other. I've been on social media a lot lately, and you're not being kind, so let's all just be kind to each other. Hello, this is Brian Gray, and my advice for analysts is don't settle for mediocrity. If you want to be happy in this career, long term, you can't be a minimalist. Just don't do what you're asked for. Do what you know is right, and don't ever, ever substitute quantity for quality and if you haven't found a way to put design to work for you, you're not doing your best work. All right. Well, you eventually make it to where you are now, which is the State of New York Division of Criminal Justice Services there in Albany, New York. You're yeah. the Training Coordinator Crime Analysis Center Program. So let's let's just go ahead and take a few minutes here to talk about what Deborah Peel has meant to me in my career. I had left Philly and took a job at the city of Pittsburgh. I basically left the field. Wasn't anything in particular about that. An opportunity came up and I said, I kind of want to move back home for a while. And I for the life of me, couldn't kind of get the field out of my head. Mm -hmm. And again, I started this saying how the field sort of pursued me and I feel like it never stopped. So, you know, sitting there, especially 2015, it was 15 and 16, interesting times in policing, felt like I was missing out on just sort of being a part of bigger conversations that were going on, kind of, you know, say regretted leaving, but, you know, I wasn't part of the field and wasn't, you know, part of what was going on and kind of was hoping something would pan out in in Pittsburgh where I could get back into the field. It didn't. Deb Peel, who truly a friend, mentor, I don't even know, I can't say enough kind words about her and what she's meant to me, um, mm -hmm. you know, emails me this job description and says, this is 
pretty much everything you were kind of doing in Philadelphia, you need to apply. Okay, Deb, I'll apply. You know, I don't really, I'm not going to move to Albany, New York. Six years later, I'm living in Albany, New York. Her keeping in touch with me after I left the field and, you know, always sort of encouraging me to find a way back is definitely how I landed here. And once I got here and really meeting everybody in this program, we have very, very talented analysts within the state of New York. And I was really blown away by things that I saw and learned in, in our center program. And I was like, wow, I'm glad I'm a part of this. So that's that's the short version of why I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, no, Deb's great and yeah. so so well connected. It's her. She, we obviously had her on the show, mm -hmm. and she's still a great influence to the IACA and many analysts. So it's not a surprise to hear that story. Yeah, I I know she is well connected and knows everybody, and I appreciate the fact that she still takes time to check on me personally. Right, we. We have a lot of deep conversations about the field and you know things like that on a regular basis and you know it helps me a lot in fact you know i can say i've been i've put together trainings and i will call deb and just kind of talk about some stuff and she gives me really great ideas so let's talk now about what you're doing now a lot of things it says training coordinator but you know as we all know our jobs sometimes involve a lot of different things so just a little bit about the program um, there are currently 10 crime analysis centers around the state of New York, which are funded by us at the state. When I first came on board, we had a total of five centers. So we've doubled in size in the past six years since I've been here. We are looking to open what will be technically our 11th center, which will be a New York City Crime Analysis Center, which is going to be primarily supporting the HIDA program. Mm. So that's that's a different thing than what we normally have done. You know, our centers are all sort of embedded within police departments around the state. And, you know, we take a regional approach to crime analysis. So our centers, you know, that are in like Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, they're supporting all the jurisdictions in their county and surrounding counties. So we're we're providing crime analysis support everywhere we can. The, the center in New York City is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more geared towards aiding in sort of analysis for prosecution and, you know, some other sort of bigger investigative things. So that's exciting. Our governor mentioned it the other day in her state of the state and in her budget address. So it's a high priority for what we're doing up here. Long-winded way of saying I my role is to make sure that we get training out to people. So it's a lot of, you know, hosting our own training, which we've started because we have so many people coming into our program. We do week-long academies for new analysts. So that's sort of taken over sort of the bulk of the training that we do. And then I throw in supplemental things where we have the need, you know, for like 
I2 class and ArcGIS class. We do access, you know, just getting those things going. Oh, on top of, you know, making sure that these things are relevant, my job is a lot of logistics. And we also do a public safety symposium, which will be September 26th to the 28th. In fact, I literally just sent out our call for presentations for that. So if anybody's interested and wants to come to Albany in September, you're welcome to put in a submission and you know we're going to have an analyst track for that. It's very, we say public safety symposium, it's very sort of inclusive of everybody. So it's police leadership, anyone sort of in the law enforcement field, prosecutors, you know, the whole spectrum of public safety. And we've kind of grown that event. Well, we started growing in 2019 and then took a break. And, you know, it got a pretty big last year. I think we had 800 people register. Our keynote speaker was the NYPD chief, as well as our governor. And a lot of good presentations there, a lot of good things. And we're building that up as well. Sorry. That, sounds, that sounds like quite a event. And I, I'll, the only thing I'll add is Albany in September sounds way better than Albany in February. Oh, yeah. No, it's like the perfect time to get people up here. I, you know, I, I, my coworker and I kind of like came together. We were doing our own analyst thing when I started and we have our gun involved violence elimination program and they, they were doing a symposium as well. And we looked at this and said, this is dumb to do two different things because like we need to be all inclusive, right? And mm -hmm. especially my argument is, you know, crime analysts are part of the law enforcement public safety community. And when we do our separate events, which are great, like I'm not disparaging separate events. I just like the idea that if we're doing things kind of like these events sort of separately, and we're kind of all in the same office, it makes sense if we collaborate and use this as like a platform to bring everyone together and have these sort of big inclusive, you know, events, right? Like this is something where crime analysts can be in the same room as the their, their chiefs, their, you know, their higher ups, and they can go to the same sessions and they can have conversations. And what we found after doing this a few times is that there was a lot of innovation that was sparked from that. So that's, that was a really long way of saying that when we came together and did this, fall seemed like the really the best time to bring everyone up here. You know, yeah. it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. How how many folks do you expect? We we got our registration up to 800 last year. Nice. I were, we set the over under at a thousand this year, looking for, you know, keynote speakers right now and trying to find, you know, a name that's going to draw. So that's kind of where I think is going to be dependent on the number of people we bring in. But mm -hmm. I think we're like, this is, this is an event that has caught some attention from people. And I think we're going to have a really good program this year. It's, I've yeah. gotten outreach so far about, you know, some analysts who want to do some presentations and I, I think it'll probably exceed a thousand in terms of that. And we, we have a space that we have to use here because we're the state government and, you know, we have, we have a convention center that the state owns here. <laughs> And so like we, it's a big event space. It's where the governor had her inauguration. There's always sort of big events there. So we have the space to grow it pretty big. So we're, we're hoping that this continues to grow and sort of keep bringing together not only people from New York, but from all over to come in and, you know, really be innovative. I think that's, 
what has been really good about it. I saw a lot of things that have come out of it and they're all just because people have saw some presentations, had some good ideas and took things away from it. No, that's, that's good. I think it is interesting. I think how some of these events are marketed because a lot of times it just seems like it's the announcement of the date location and what the event is. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you'll see an association where they'll say what the keynote speaker mm-hmm. is for for an event. But other than that, I, I don't see too much where you have a lineup of mm-hmm. people that you're marketing and trying to draw people in. So yeah. I think that if that's your strategy. I, I, I'm really curious of how that's going to play out for you in the next couple months. I mean, it's... It won't be so much later, but I think last year we were able to sort of say towards the end, you know, our keynote speaker was, you know, Commissioner Sewell from NYPD. We didn't advertise the governor because we were told literally the day before that she was going to actually show up. God, we had we had the Buffalo Commissioner Joe Gramalia come and you know talk about how much he has taken away from being able to come to this event every year. He's our like prime example of someone came to our first event had had sort of saw something on the idea of I know they call them like the notifications that they I can't exactly exact explain their mini notification system but it all came together out of one one year and then the next year they presented on what they like took back and started implementing there mm-hmm. right and then so we had him sort of kick the thing off to talk about that and know some of the challenges they faced you know with buffalo this year so we'll put in the show notes the the link to your event and yeah if people want more information yeah all right anthony follow me on linkedin and twitter as well there you go what's your twitter oh it's at tony debruzzo there you go what else are you getting into these days? Yeah, I, I it's a lot of things, you know, with New York State. But in addition to that, I've also been consulting with CNA and really excited about being a subject matter expert for the Crime Analyst and Residence Program. Mm-hmm. So what BJA is doing is putting crime analysts into different areas that are lacking analysis, right? So they're finding really small departments and taking a regional approach, which is really good of, you know, finding a couple of departments that don't have analysts or mm-hmm. are maybe only have limited amount of uh, people working on crime analysis. Mm-hmm. And we're sending in an analyst to sort of, you know, establish more of like a, you know, crime analysis workflow for these smaller departments. So it's been sort of good in terms of I've been able to provide sort of my expertise and the ideas of training and, you know, looking at some of the products and adding what knowledge I can to that and helping those people who are going to be the embedded analysts. And some people are doing really great work on that program. And I think once kind of that gets out a little bit more and people see some of the results, I think it's a really promising, good way of, you know, helping agencies and really promoting this field, you know, kind of getting to places that don't have the resources that maybe have full-time analysts. And then also, I think it's good when people take this regional approach, Mm-hmm. You know, crime doesn't have boundaries and jurisdictions. You know, these areas tend to have the same people doing the same things. And, you know, 
in quite a oh, quite a big area, right? So mm-hmm. it's I mean it's honestly been fascinating for me working at a state level. This is, you know, going back to what I've seen here where like we constantly have, you know, issues that are going back and forth between our cities that you would think wouldn't have that much of a connection, but they do. Mm-hmm. And so that's why being I was able to sort of provide expertise early on and say, you know, thinking about it from a regional approach is the best way just because you could put an analyst in one small department and they're going to do so many things, but they're not going to see sort of that big picture. So the more you get people on board in the, in an area, you know, the better I'd say an analyst is going to be able to sort of help and provide, you know, actual analysis and products. Do you have an example that you could tell us of what departments are included under one analyst? So the first pilot site was Fitchburg, Wisconsin, and those actually include Middleton, Monana, Sun Prairie, and Verona. So that's five okay. agencies yeah. kind of okay. working together on it. All right. I've been to Verona. Really? Wisconsin. Yes. Verona, Wisconsin is the home of Epic, which is the major healthcare records management system, if you will. Really? So a lot of hospitals have Epic, and that's where they are home. They, Verona, Wisconsin, they have this ginormous campus in the middle of cornfield where if people go and get trained on epic so yes i know i at least know where that area is yeah yeah is there a criteria in terms of how far away these departments have to be or how they're selected i the criteria is i know it's up to bja Hmm. and it's been sort of identifying the places that have the most need mm-hmm. and yeah there's i don't know exactly the criteria i'm not mm-hmm. on that part of it but i know that they've been sort of trying to identify the places that have the most need as it's getting off the ground and trying to fund get people there first is bja also supplying any tools for these jurisdictions because i just imagine in my head from your point of view you (laughs) might have three or four jurisdictions they may have all or no records management system (laughs) and somehow an analyst is supposed to come in and merge all these things together yeah we're just sort of making we are making those recommendations over what they need and doing that sort of like initial assessment early on what i really hope comes out of this program is just a long-term view because what (laughs) i always worry about with especially with some of these federal programs is they give you just a couple of years and it's like a grant and then yeah pull it from under you and then you're like okay if you want to keep these analysts you have to pay for them yeah right yeah that's no the struggle I'm... that but that's the struggle with these smaller departments that they they just can't do it what's funny is i think you just accidentally brought us full circle back around that's <laughs> how i originally started as somebody who was grant funded and then the department had to take over my yeah my position and I, that is a challenge you're right and I, I think they really are thinking about that and trying to provide as much sort of not just sort of the the help that they can do with an embedded analyst but really give everyone sort of the tools and resources to continue it going mm-hmm. right so the embedded analyst is just staying there for only a short time 
and they're going to set up as much as they can to sort of help these departments. And then if they need an actual analyst or you know, if they can get by on sort of working with what they have, like it's just a matter of sort of giving them guidance and, you know, tools, sort of a, essentially giving them the pathway to do it. I want to take some time now to just talk about training and law mm-hmm. enforcement analysis. There's a lot out there. Yeah. Number one, there's a lot of options, which is good. It's good to have options. And I guess from my point of view, as I look back, it got to the point where I let me back up a couple of steps. I I became a law enforcement analyst exactly two weeks before 9-11. Right. So Mm -hmm. after 9-11, obviously, there were a ton of opportunities developed for training for analysts because that Mm -hmm. was one of the identified deficiencies of prior to 9-11. And so I got to the point, though, I, I was an analyst for probably going on about seven years now, about 2008, before I started Cincinnati Police Department, that I was working for the Washington Baltimore Haida and just was exposed to a ton of training. And I mean, if you looked at my resume, I had thousands of hours mm-hmm. of training. And I was working for ILEA's fiat program. I had, you know, I don't know if it got quite, I don't think it got quite up to a thousand hours of teaching, but it obviously was a lot. And, but while that sounds impressive, having all that training, you know, what that actually means, I just got awareness. It Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily that I was able to come back and say, okay, now we can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I, so, hey, sometimes you learn one thing or two out of a training, right? That's mm-hmm. incredibly valuable to say your everyday work, right? Mm-hmm. We had done I2 training last year, year before, and one of our really experienced analysts hopped on it and she's like, oh, wow, they just showed me something on the import function that I didn't know existed and that like dramatically changes how I do things. So, every once in a while, you do get that like, okay, I did learn how to sort of thing, but it's not, there's no handbook in directions on how to be an analyst, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not learning like step-by-step step how to do things. You're just sort of getting a awareness of, you know, how things can be done. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of like, okay, these are ways to do things, but, you know, you develop your own sort of system. Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate. It is difficult to come back home and implement what you learned. It, yeah. It's difficult. There have been times where I came back from a training, or I, especially when I come back from a conference, a week-long conference, and I've heard all these ideas, and there's all this talk about improvement, and you get back to the office Monday morning, and you're like, how do I even possibly go forward and changing stuff based on what I learned last week. Yeah. I just think back to this example uh, a few few months ago, you know, we do this analyst Academy and there's some parts of it that, you know, at the time don't seem all that relevant to our analysts. And then like two weeks later, somebody calls me and asks me this question. And I just like, I didn't want to do it. I, I phrased it better than I did that I'm thinking of it, but you know, I was like, you just learned this in training. You learned literally exactly this thing of where to find this information in our training. Mm-hmm. And everybody said like, oh, that was kind of boring and I didn't really learn anything. <laughs> and it was like, 
that's that's the point of this, right? We're covering the things that are, you know, might not be super relevant, but it's the making you aware of where to find things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I just I always go back to the fact that there is no one way to do this job, right? Yeah, there's I really, truly stress the idea that an, an analyst gets asked to do a lot of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's sometimes out of your comfort zone and it's probably a good thing sometimes. I say sometimes, not everything, where you get asked to do something that's out of your comfort zone. And, you know, there you can't just go to the handbook and say, oh, this is how you do that, right? And it's important to be able to challenge yourself in those situations of like, okay, now I got to learn this. Yeah. So then in terms of analysts, Mm-hmm. Say we got a new analyst, first year analyst, and he or she has opportunity to take training. Yeah. And so there's the path of being well-rounded, mm-hmm. right? That you just yeah. take a series of courses. Maybe you look to get certified as a certified analyst. And so you're exposed to all these different topics mm-hmm. in the law enforcement analysis field. And, and you work your way up to to then be a certified analyst. Mm-hmm. But then there's another path that maybe this analyst could take, which is he or she does some research and identifies where the biggest need is. Right. And so they focus on learning that. Maybe they just take a bunch of courses on traffic and yeah. traffic's going to be important or they they learn about weapons as as you know you were part of it but it's it's more of a tailored series of training based on what they're seeing a specific need is as opposed to being well-rounded right and so i guess i want to pick your brain again obviously there's pluses and minuses to both paths yeah but what does your experience tell you so i do this sort of part of the our crime analyst academy where I give my sort of my advice, right? Mm-hmm. Where I where I just kind of set the stage and say, you know, this is what we're gonna talk about this week. You know, let's just talk about the program. I get into the history a little bit, sort of, you know, what we're doing, what our mission is, why we're doing this. And I, I try to talk about how to be a crime analyst. Um to which there's a variety of ways to be one, right? And there this kind of question of do you really specialize in a certain area? or be well-rounded and versatile and able to do anything you're asked for. I mean, one to me always comes back to like, what what is the need, right? Who is, and then say your audience, but you know, what what's required, not only if you're working in a center, but if you're an analyst in any police department, you there's sort of, there's that, what is required of you? What are people asking for? And that usually points you in a direction. But you know, my overall advice to everybody is you got to find that passion, right? The one thing that you are passionate about within this job, or else you know, you you do kind of get, I'd say, a little bit lost in the the shuffle of being able to do the jack of all trades stuff, right? Mm. For me, I I really love the mapping aspect of it. I spent more time doing GIS work because I liked it. You know, it wasn't particularly sometimes the thing that was always asked of me, but that having that one thing, and I always kind of end my session on this at our academy with the picture of Curly from City Slickers saying life is about that one thing. 
and then like no one gets this reference at this point right <laughs> you're showing your age there oh yeah no i <laughs> do all the time getting funnier but you know life is about that one thing and you know for me crime analysis being an analyst comes down to that one thing that you know that you enjoy out of this job so I, I do think people need to be well-rounded and I think they have to be aware of sort of everything that's going on, but there's really nothing that says you can't be really focused on a particular aspect of it because I, I don't, I'm not sure there's very many other fields that require such a variety of skill sets. Using an example, this happened to me in Philadelphia once, and I know it's certain happening more and more to our analysts out there now. Somebody said, hey, can you just edit this video down to like this clip that we could put? I was like, I'm sorry, do I understand? Like, I don't think I have that software. You're telling me you want me to like edit a video clip down? You know, you get asked to do these different things, right? And that's that's one like video editing. How is that part of somebody's job who is you know doing stats work? And you know the analyst is that default. If somebody doesn't know how to do something, let's let's ask them. They'll figure it out. Yeah. So I think it I think it's important to have sort of a well-rounded grasp of the things that are going on. But I, you know, for I I really think it's important to focus on one particular area. Yeah, and I you know I'm on a little bit of a soapbox. If you're a regular listener mm -hmm. to this show, you're like, oh, Jason, you're going to talk about this again. But you know, I, I do fear that in many situations mm -hmm. that analysts are data analysts right, and not analysts of crime or analysts of intelligence, that okay. they're there as the gatekeeper of the data because mm -hmm. they know how to use the tool and that they're not necessarily subject matter experts of a particular crime or gang or whatnot but they get assigned to a project and their job is to furnish data to that project and right. so it gets to the point where it's more of a clerical position right mm -hmm. not that they're not doing any analysis but i think what's being asked of them what's they're seen as you mentioned what they're asked to do mm -hmm. well this analyst has helped me before with you know, developing a poster or mm -hmm. for a banquet or has done Photoshop or does whatever it is so they can learn a tool very quickly and get to where we need to go. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm suggesting that they shouldn't be doing that or if they're if they can't. I'm not saying they shouldn't say, no, I'm not helping you. I'm not suggesting yeah. that. But I do fear that because of that, because that they're just gatekeepers of the data, mm -hmm. that is hurting the profession in the long run. And we talked a little bit about it in the prep call. We, mm -hmm. you know, and this is a lot, I got a lot of chatter on LinkedIn about a month ago when there was this analyst job in Florida for the state of Florida and the starting salary is $40,000. Right. And a lot of people were chiming in on how could they even consider paying an analyst $40,000. But in a way, you know, and I don't know this, I, I am living in Florida, but I don't have any inside information. If they're being asked to do more of a clerical task, mm -hmm. then a, an argument could be made. We could pay that 
person forty thousand dollars and they will take that job and we will get out of them what we need of them right i have a lot of things to say yeah go ahead i I talked a long time sorry i I got monologuing there i yeah no i i i appreciate your soapbox oh yeah we did talk about this and i think i i view things a little bit differently now with this experience in new york i see how the value of our centers works in terms of having a group of people not just one person but a group of people that you can go to right instead of someone coming to you and saying hey can you do this that's really sort of outside of your scope we have a lot of people in one place in that sort of centralized center approach really kind of helps you find people who are able and willing to do that. So that's one thing. I think I've learned I like the centralized model of crime analysis a little bit more. I know that that's will always be a debate within sort of our field, right? Like what works better. Mm-hmm. And I I do think it it's good in a sense that we're that sort of default like okay, you can learn this tool, new tool. You can do this and people come to you. We got to get to a point with this field where that's respected and people are compensated fully for that, right? This is a conversation I had recently, and I wish I could attribute it directly to that person, but it was a long week of conversations. But they made this point to me that, you know, with police officers, there's this, we can always fill these positions approach that's why we're going to start you at low salary and people retire and it's just going to be a constant cycle no matter what we do. Um, and with with crime analysis, I think we put it out there a long time ago that these are entry level jobs and people are they're going to be more for you know, the younger group of people coming out of school. Right. It's all and there's always going to be a new class. Right. And you know, this field needs to be better valued by decision makers. It really does. There's a lot of analysts right now who are just not compensated for the work they do. You know, and just kind of going back to what you said, like some analysts are viewed as like just the data keepers and things like that. We, I, stealing Jerry Radcliffe's line from when we first started doing this in 2012 in, or 11, in teaching officers to be analysts, he used the phrase local crime expert, right? Analysts should always kind of know what's going on, right? And then I think that's an important role for analysts to, yeah, you're asked to do a lot of things, but you should also really have a sense of what's going on within your jurisdiction, area, you know, city sort of thing. You should be able to sort of understand the patterns and, you know, know the hotspots in those areas. And that should be valued more, right? Hate to pontificate about, you know, local government officials and, you know, the work that they do, but they always rely on us for information. And, you know, it's people who ask these questions never truly value the work that goes into the answers. And, you know, it's, I don't know if there's ever a real solution to that problem, but I, I think the more our field is valued and the more you know people from our field 
and talk about the work that we do and how important it is. I, you know, I hope in the long run that there's there's bigger changes. Oh, I, yeah. hmm. And I, I would just follow that up with being a student of your jurisdiction or crime or of intelligence. It you have to have data sources beyond yeah. the police department data. Like right. your, your two sources, you can't just have two sources of data, the database and then what the officer is bringing to you. Like you and I and I'm, you know, obviously, I, I don't think I did a good job of this when I was an analyst mm-hmm. of reading up articles, having an understanding of what just goes on every night. Stuff that a patrol officer is obviously going to see as they're doing beats, like knowing all that information of what's what's going on and getting various sources of information to have a general understanding and then being the subject matter expert to know, okay, being able to come up with conclusions and suggestions based on a whole array of of data, not just the database because i think yeah. that's where the profession gets caught i think you're right i think they could come in and say you know what i can replace somebody that's just going to be a gatekeeper of the data mm-hmm. yeah it's this mentality that there's always someone to take a job mm-hmm. i work with a lot of people who have that sort of mentality of they're constantly knowing what's going on and one of the things we haven't really talked about, and I know this conversation has come up a lot in our profession this last year, is the burnout, right? The people who are paying attention 24-7 and dealing with all of the information, you know, they, they're they equally as stressed, right? I know we've had this sort of in our circles about you know, what, what can we do about these analysts who are really like dialed in and know what's going on and like what, getting them to take breaks and not get burned out so much. Oh, oh, I I see. I've talked to a lot of our analysts who are just, especially ones that are working on homicides, and they get called in at all hours because they're that point of information for you know investigators because mm-hmm. you know they've they've been dealing with cases and they know a lot of information that should be valued in a way that I'm not sure enough people are doing. Yeah, there's there's definitely a bigger movement towards mental health. Yeah. And which is good, which is yeah. good is yeah. understanding Hugely. the impact of stress. Yeah. On on there. And and I highly suggest anybody listening to just be able to recognize and to take mental health seriously. Yeah. Right? Oh, so. it's really important. And, you know, in this profession, you're exposed to so much. And you know, I think. Some of us, I, I know for a time, there was a point where I, I was just constantly looking at shooting data itself. And it's a little bit easy to sort of work with data and not really think about how these are lives, right? Mm. And, you know, sometimes it just hits you and you're like, oh, no, wait, this is talking about you know what happened to people. And always sort of keeping that perspective in mind, too, I think is important in our field, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of aspects to society that we're dealing with in our profession that is adjacent to the entire profession of policing, right? You know, we're not the people responding to the worst of the worst, but we're we're there and we're part of it. We're part of the team. All right, well, let's finish up with personal interest then, because you are a marathon runner. 
like me, but you, would, you have ran way more than I have. I use marathon runner in quotation marks when I say it. I've run 12 marathons, some of which I did in costume. I did a couple <laughs> of them for charity a few years ago. The question I get asked the most is, was it hot running in a full movie quality Chewbacca costume? <laughs> the answer is no, it's surprisingly breathable. Just can't wear the mask. Oh man, I need a picture of that. Can you send me a picture of that? Oh yeah, it's. <laughs> I gotta find it. it. It's out there in various ways. Yeah, I, I took a break after 2018. I had shoulder surgery, so that kind of rolled out a year, and then, you know, a year turns into five years. So I went back and did one last year in Pittsburgh. It's a good time. I always, you know, run with friends, and turns into more of a, you know, stopping to talk to people than serious running. So that's why yeah. I use the term loosely. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a social event. When it's race day, I mean, I love race day. It's, but prepping to get there is the work, right? Oh, it's yeah. All no, that that's training, awful. that yeah. it's the hard part. Unless you're really trying to work to get a certain time, which I usually do. But yeah. race day is a special time. Let me ask you this. Are you a headphone guy when you when you do on race day? No. No? Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, like, it's always, training is always you by yourself headphones on you know i i listen to podcasts mm -hmm. uh, you know most people listen to music and it's just it's kind of lonely and it's grueling right race day mm -hmm. should be absolutely fun you should just be kind of socializing and you know i like to you know talk to people as i go and you're all you end up being around the same people a lot so it's like yeah. kind of nice to have conversations yeah I, i'm not just... winning the thing right like might as well have fun <laughs> yeah. with it that's that's true. No, I never listen to music when I run. To me, it's running. Not only am I getting obviously the the exercise from running, but right. to me, it's it's part of my mental health, right? Because yeah. yeah. I will just escape mentally, right? Yeah. I'm not there mentally when I'm running. If I'm having a good run, it's I'm not even thinking about the steps that I'm taking or breathing. It's I am lost in a daydream. Right. That's that's a really good way to be. I I find way too often that I'm like I'm out for a run and I have an idea about work. <laughs> like, oh, I don't have a piece of paper to write this down. I jokingly said to my boss, I'm like, that's it's not far off from working sometimes because mentally I'm working through some sort of issue or thinking about something if I'm not zoned out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which do you have a favorite venue that you ran of your 12? I, I, so I usually do. I, the majority of mine have been in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I've run that the eight times trying to do the math in my head. I did, I did Philly twice and a Marine Corps once. Okay. To me, it's like, I don't, I don't even want to run a different course other than Pittsburgh. I enjoy I it. I end up running into like a lot of people I know. So okay. that's always fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really well supported along the way. Like a ton of people come out. And Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. People ta people tailgate in front of their house as you yeah. run past them, and they're yeah. like they're, they're cheering you on, and they have no idea even who you are, yelling right. your number. It, it's 
it's you know when you're coming across that finish line they announce your name like yeah. 50 yards before the finish line and people are all cheering for you and have no idea who you are and for somebody that's it's never been in that sporting arena where they weren't the starting person for a sporting arena like that that is a feeling that you get when you run these races yeah oh and like philadelphia the first half is great because you're running through like the neighborhoods and center mm-hmm. city and ton- tons of people are out. It's just then it includes an out and back through the park that doesn't have any people. Yeah. It just, you, you hit that stretch. It's just like, there's really not many people out there and it just, just got boring. And for me, it was like the, the whole back half was like my training run. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I do, I see this all the time. Yeah. Marine Corps, I thought was fairly well supported. There was just like, there's like kind of gaps in there because you're like kind of on some highways between things. And it just wasn't, wasn't that great. Yeah. Hmm. And well, I would imagine Pittsburgh's got to be pretty hilly. Oh yeah, no, there's, there's actually a section of it that's one of the steepest inclines in all of marathons. <laughs> and they have, they actually have people now, they started a few years ago. 2018 maybe where they have like people who run with you up that hill right so there's it's it's around the halfway point when you're doing the full actually it's about mile 11 they'll have they're basically like sherpas right they (laughs) they'll they'll start with you at the bottom and run with you to get you through that part just to encourage you Hmm. yeah so are you gonna are you running pittsburgh this year my official status right now on the record is that i'm currently retired (laughs) okay yeah last year was a little bit it was just difficult to train in upstate new york for a may marathon Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah no yeah so for those those listening minimum it's it's a 12-week training yeah right minimum usually i mean unless you're running regularly long distances it's it's 12 weeks so if you're in upstate new york for may 12 weeks you're i mean you're running in in february yeah and it's it was tough i didn't get as many training actually every time i did a long training run last year pouring rain (laughs) just pouring rain and the race itself was kind of good it was you know it wasn't difficult you know got through it pretty i mean it was five hours which I would have liked to have been better prepared than I was. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was just like, I don't know if I can really train. That's why the ones that are up here are usually in October. It gives you the summer. Yeah. So yeah. I, summer summer can be brutal too. Yeah. Yeah. You get the heat of summer. It's It can be brutal. So on this uh, opposite end of it being yeah. freezing. I'm a, I'm, I'm a hot weather runner. Like I'm in just the absolute worst environment for me as a runner. Like I, I, love going out there when it's like 80 90 yeah Hmm. yeah this is that's not the weather up here (laughs) definitely not yeah you're in florida it's a little bit different but yeah all right well very good all right well our last segment of the show is words to the world and this is where i give the guests the last word anthony you can promote any idea that you wish what are your words to the world oh wow I cannot stress enough. I, we talked about it a bunch in here. It's just be patient and in your job, right? Like just things take time, you know, as a trainer, I say that you're not going to learn overnight what to do. It's just stress patience in this world. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you. You've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. People are welcome to talk bad about me. Believe me, they do. 
when you're responsible for giving training to everybody, like no one's ever happy with you. But I do appreciate you being on the show, Anthony. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, say. this was a pleasure. It was a good conversation. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.